May the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you. Welcome to the Voice of Islam Science panel where we will discuss how science and the natural world fits in with the teachings of Islam. The short answer is that they do go hand in hand. You know, we consider them to be the branches from the same tree. But if you keep on listening, we will explain how and why. My name is Adil Bajwa. I'm a practicing NHS surgeon and I'm delighted to be joined by an esteemed panel for this episode. Firstly, we have Anas Rana, who's a lecturer at the University of Birmingham Center for Computational Biology. Asalaamu Alaikum, Anas. Thanks for joining us. Asalaamu Alaikum. Next, we have Naveed Malik, who holds a PhD in physics from Cambridge University and who is now in education. Asalaamu Alaikum, Naveed. Thanks for joining us today. Walaikum Asalaam. It's good to be here. Just a minor correction. I have studied at Cambridge, but my PhD is, um, like Anas, is from Warwick. Okay, just as good. <laughs> we, won't, we won't pick bones about that. Um, so what we're going to try and do in this episode, if times allows, is to discuss these following questions. The first question, is there any conflict between science and religion? Um, and we will be looking at you know verses from the Holy Quran that set this out. And if we have time, we'll move on to the second question of... Um, can the study of science and natural phenomena get you closer to God? Um, but we'll see how we get on. Um, you know, I think these are sort of quite broad topics. And, you know, the, I think there's a lot of dis- lots of things to discuss. So let's not waste any time and get straight into it. And as always, we should start f- by referring to the Holy Quran. And this is a uh, this is a verse from chapter 42, verse 30 where it is stated, and among among his signs is the creation of the heavens and the earth and and of whatever living creatures he has spread forth in both. And this is one of any number of verses in the Holy Quran that make it clear that the study of science and creation is by design a means of understanding God. However, in, in this model, modern world, there is an assumption that somehow religion and science are in conflict that the knowledge of the natural world somehow removes the need for the presumed supernatural explanations that uh, religion provides. And this concept really started growing momentum in the Enlightenment period in the 18th and 19th century, where you know, rigorous scientific thought and discourse started replacing um, religious doctrine as a need for explaining creation and purpose of life. There was no longer a need for supernatural explanations for the unknown because the laws of physics and observations gave you answers where once there was only wonder. Richard Dawkins, a well-known atheist, believes that religion and science can't sit side by side because belief in God doesn't stand up to scientific scrutiny. So let me start with our first question to be put to the panel. Is there really a conflict between science and religion? I think the short answer you've already given, yeah. that no. I, to take one step back, the main, um, the, the, main, the main thing to say here, I think, is why can there not be a, um, a conflict there? That's because at the end of the day, both are in their purest form a uh, pursuit of truth when you do, you know when you work as a scientist that's what you're trying to do you're trying to understand the natural world the truth behind 
what you're observing, what mm. you're seeing, no matter what you know uh, subject of scientific study you are undertaking, this is what you're trying to do. Mm. Um, and religion, in its pure form, like we practice it as Amdi Muslims, has the same aim, because what you're trying to do is get to the truth of why are we here, what are we meant to do. You and, know, and this is, you know, I'm just to refer back to the Holy Quran. This is what it states right at the beginning, you know, right at the beginning, chapter two, verse three. This is a perfect book. There is no doubt in it. A guidance for the righteous and righteousness is all about truth, isn't it? Yeah. So, you know, it's all about getting to the same point. Yeah. You're just obviously looking at well, what's the difference then if you science, you know, scientific truth, religious truth. What's in terms of how you approach it in terms of the evidence is it different or is I mean, it some sort of... I, I, I think there are differences, right? Yeah. At the end of the day, even though both are looking at the truth or trying to get to the bottom of what is truth, and, and uh, but they're looking at two different spheres. One is looking at the observable sphere, mm. trying to see this is what we observe, what does this mean, how does it relate to this thing, etc. That's science. Religion... The pursuit of truth in religion is more spiritual. Mm. It's about becoming better human beings mm. um, and furthering your own, you know, developing yourself. And like you said, like you quoted that verse of the Holy Quran, becoming a more righteous person towards others, getting closer to God. That's, you know, that that's part of the journey that you're on in that pursuit of truth. So, yes. Even though they're both about pursuit of truth, there are, of course, differences. So just go back. When we talk about the spiritual world, I mean, let's have some sort of definition. What, what do we mean by the spiritual world? I mean, the physical world is, you know, defined by mass, energy, the laws of physics. So what is, you know, what is the spiritual world? I mean, is it is it defined? Is it some sort of, you know, hocus pocus? What, what, Naveed, what do you, how would you define the spiritual world? Um, so if I, if I make a take a step back actually and then just refer to the first question because yep. I think that resolves the question which we are here at uh, with about the conflict and the differences between science and religion. Um, it is interesting uh, but in the Holy Quran there is um, no, as far as I understand it, there's not some kind of a strict dichotomy when the Holy Quran talks about what you might call religious or moral phenomena versus scientific phenomena and that's what Anas um, was going towards as well that as if they are ways of looking thing at things and ways of arriving the truth now in um, um, in the Holy Quran there is a very clear definition of both science um, and religion because it's important before we can answer that question we need to know what science is and we're beginning to do that and what religion is so uh, it's simply put uh, there was a fantastic um, definition of both in very accessible and very simple, accurate and elegant terms uh, by the uh, second caliph of um, the Ahmadiyya Muslim community where he describes uh, religion as the word of God and science as the work of God. And um, when we define the two like this in a very precise terms, then uh, the conflict by itself uh, vanishes because um, at least in principle uh, you cannot have the conflict between the two uh, if God exists 
um, um, and um, God is um, uh, uh, God is what you might define as the truth mm. in itself, then the word of God cannot conflict with the works of God. Uh, and the Holy Quran goes further and gives examples. So uh, there are verses of the Holy Quran which talk about natural phenomena. Mm. Um, uh, sometimes before the natural phenomena are understood by human beings through the lens of what we might call science. Mm. Um, and, um, and it describes uh, natural phenomena accurately. Um, and that um, um, asks, begs the question that, uh, how how could a book written by some uh, a person a human being if you assume it be fourteen hundred years ago um, talk about scientific phenomena, phenomena with such accuracy um, and uh, so so that's where you can we can arrive at that conclusion about the unity of the two things uh, retrospectively so uh, we might discover a phenomena right now yeah. and we and we have to be careful in interpret in our interpretation, where we might go back to the Holy Quran and say, the God is talking about the phenomena and talk and talking about with uh, with precision and with accuracy. Um, I mean, I, yeah. So uh, just just to add on to that, what what Navid said, and I think it's a really important point that you just made there. In in the book by the fourth uh, Khalifa, he mentioned as well that. This sort of dichotomy that you're, you're you're relating to, that obviously we've already covered in a short, quick th- sense that it doesn't exist, mm. but the reason it exists in in Western schools of thought, especially past the Renaissance, is that this idea developed that truth can only be uh, attained by rationality, rational thinking alone. There is no other mm. way mm. of reaching truth. Mm. And I think that's where that, that root of the problem comes from for most Western thinkers. Mm. I mean, there's there's a lot to unpack in all of that. I mean, can, just, can, if, you, if you don't mind, can yeah. I just um, finish that, the second part of that thought? Because mm. um, I don't think um, the Holy Quran stops at that. When I was talking about the retrospective aspects, the Holy Quran is a living book. Mm. It is a book and a guide for humanity for all time. Um, and uh, the second part of that um, argument is looking at things prospectively, where we take inspirational, mm. uh, rather, sorry, inspiration about the natural world through the Holy Quran, where we're inspired towards ways of thinking, be it towards in sociology and be it towards science. And uh, we perhaps discover new phenomena whilst guided by the Holy Quran, which, which is, I would say, uh, the challenge for Muslim scientists uh, of the time, and some uh, scientists have taken that up and have actually uh, so, done so, it successfully. So, do you think that inspiration uh, is motivated by the knowledge that there is, you know, a creator, and you know that he's created the universe in a certain way? Is that what you mean by inspiration? So, it can mean different. Uh, so, you can th- we can think about it at different levels. Um, and one of the levels is that deep idea that yes, there is a creator, there is a design, and the Holy that Holy Quran actually explicitly talks about this in 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 its verses, where it refers to that um, 
observe the universe. It says again and again, observe and reflect, observe and reflect, yeah. which is the mantra of science, by the way. Um, and it would say that you will not find any flaw yeah. within the universe. You will not find um, uh, any any lack, uh, any, anything which doesn't make sense. So, so they will always be... you're looking for things that are wise. You're looking for things that are ordered... There That's is a sense of purpose you. and design yeah. Yeah. in the universe. But, but that, again, I would say at the moment where we are, I mean, we will need to develop this later, is I admit uh, it, it's relatively vague, so that needs to be teased apart. Do but it, the second part of that would be specific references to phenomena. Yeah. Uh, so where we can understand uh, some of the deep ideas of physics, mathematics, and perhaps biology um, in light of... Um, the spiritual, moral conversations which the Holy Quran took, takes place. And the Holy Quran um, talks about physical phenomena mm. uh, very, very explicitly. For example, the revelation aspect of the bee and what does that mean? Mm. It talks about the behavior of the bee and what human beings can learn from that uh, and how you can protect what the bees make, uh, what inspiration can we take from that. And I'm using inspiration, which perhaps can be interpreted as uh, perhaps a wishy-washy kind of term that, mm. oh yeah, we will over-interpret. But I believe the Holy Quran goes beyond that. It's not just inspiration, it is research guidance. Well, I think we will come back to some specific verses in the Holy Quran that talk about scientific phenomenon. And, yeah. you know, I really want to dig into what, you know, what we're supposed to learn from them. But, but let's just go back. We were talking about the spiritual world. So, mm. I mean... I mean, this is my idea what the spiritual world is, and you know, let's it's open for discussion. So, I mean, the physical world is obvious, isn't it? We know it's it's mass energy, it's a law of physics. So, my understanding of the spiritual world is, you know, the laws that relate to human consciousness. You know, this is, you know, the laws that relate to morality, and the laws that relate to, you know, but good and bad. You know, these are the laws that, I mean, you wouldn't necessarily say they exist in a in a physical universe, but there's certainly a definite existence that we all feel. So, I mean, and this is, you know, this is quite important to define because, you know, I think if you look at the verses of the Holy Quran, there are, it, it, they always talk about natural phenomena and say these are signs. So, I put it to you, are one of the signs that if you look at the natural world, you will see patterns of design and behavior that you will then, that can then be reflected in the spiritual world. So just like there's laws in the, you know, in the natural world, you know, we would find laws in the spiritual world. I mean, and these these are described by, you know, by great scholars of Islam. And one of the greatest that we will all recognize as if you're an Amdi Muslim is is the promised Messiah, Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmed, who claimed to be the Messiah of Muhammad, the reformer of the age. Um, who came in a contemporary age, who came in the post-Enlightenment period when, you know, s these concepts of science and how it conflicts with the religion, you know, these discussions were happening. So this was the time where, we, you know, if, if you know, if religion is true, then there needed to be an answer. So he does talk about, you know, a variety of things, but the, his book, uh, The Philosophy of the Teaching of Islam, I think is the best example certainly in the English language in terms of translations which really detail in depth the verses of the Holy Quran that describe laws which relate to the spiritual world you know there's a part of you that you know for instance uh, is inclined towards evil 
There's a part of you that's inclined towards reproving, you know, improving yourself. And these are laws. And, the, and these are, you know, just as you see laws of physics, there's a symmetry. I mean, you can see that there's branch, they're like the branches of the same tree. Does that sort of, you know, what do you think? Do you think that sort of makes sense? Is that one of the things you're, you're learning from, from nature and science, that if you reflect on that, you will reflect on your own existence, that this, there, there is this sort of a pattern, a symmetry between the two? So, I, I mean, I, I think there is certainly a symmetry between the two, and that is the argument which the Holy Quran makes. Mm. And that's the reason that the Holy Quran talks about both at the same time and asks us to take inspiration from the natural world and apply it to um, our behavior. Mm. Um, um, and, and perhaps uh, we need to think about this a bit more, but uh, vice versa. Th there is a symmetry. And which is very informative, but we have to be careful in when we say when we compare the laws of what, what we call science mm. um, as opposed to um, the laws of morality, because mm. they are not laws in the same sense. They're not measurable. Um, beyond being mm. measurable, I, I, I think just to pick up on yeah. that, I think yeah. there is there is a certain thing, certain aspect mm. to the laws of spirituality that isn't there when you look at the laws of nature. Mm. Coming back to the word that we used towards the beginning, which is truth. Mm. Right? The laws of spirituality that we follow and we believe in, we believe that they are essentially eternal truths. These are truths that are immovable, that are there, they are given to us by the creator of this universe. Mm. But laws of nature we're talking now about the philosophy of science in a sense mm. laws of nature in some sense if you if you um, philosophically think about the way the laws of nature uh, should be mm. they are as well immutable don't change but our study of the laws of nature mm. defines truth in a very precise way mm. truth is of what our observation in one narrow field, um, you know, fulfill whatever fulfills that observation is the truth. An example I, I really like is 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 obviously the the idea of gravity. Right? Mm. Newton's laws of gravity obviously are true; mm. they exist, they they work, but they are defined in a very precise form. When you step outside of those bounds. They do not apply anymore. That's when we needed uh, Einstein's special theory of relativity or general theory of relativity. So the idea is that scientific truths or the laws of nature and the laws of spirituality are... Uh, the laws of nature and the, spirit, uh, 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 the laws of, of our spiritual... Uh, the, the truthfulness in our spirituality, the way we, we believe, those are definitely this one and the same. Mm -hmm. But in terms of truthfulness, but the the truthfulness or the the idea of what it what uh, uh, what our understanding of nature means is very different. I think it's very good. But um, again, I think we we have to be careful. I think you, because what we've done is we've gone into this territory of. Uh, religious law yes. without defining what religious law means because I think to many people um, it would be something like 
um, within the Holy Quran, for example, the injunction not to become intoxicated and not to have alcohol or not to gamble. Um, I think so, so that moral law is different uh, and the nature of that is different. Those are uh, laws which because it that law in itself is not going to mean that no one's going to drink somehow. Whereas the law of gravity, which says, um, you know, if I pick up this object, it will fall towards the center of the earth. It will happen unless there is some other, there are other forces. So um, where, what we might be touching um, or going towards is what we mean by um, what would happen if we, if humanity doesn't do certain things. So, for example, if we, I don't know, th there is a lot of alcohol consumption, mm -hmm. then that would lead to um, denigration of society and so on. So, you, we might begin to get into, but that's a massive field. Um, and, you know, we, there certainly will be symmetries well, between the two. I think it's perhaps a subject not for the science hour, but for the, the spiritual hour. But there was just a, it was well, well, what we're talking about, they're one and the same thing. <laughs> That's the whole argument. So but, <laughs> bring I mean, it on. Another example I would but, say is like, if, if, you know, if you lie, you know, there will be a law. You know, if you lie, you're degrading yourself, you know, and yeah. that's and perhaps, you know, I would argue that, OK, you don't know the full truth, but that yep. truth may come. Yep. When we all believe in, you know, life after this, the day of judgment, where all these things will become apparent. Yep. And then, you know, where, you know, your morality will follow a law. But but yep. let's just move on because, you know, we've got a lot to discuss. I mean, get, get, can I just touch? Yeah. There's another way of kind of looking at this, uh, I think, as well. And then that's the I, I think that's the reason that the Holy Quran doesn't distinguish between the two. Uh, it interchanges between the two, the spiritual world as we define it and, and the religious world. And it's to do with um, the, uh, the, how shall I put it, the resolution perhaps at which we look at mm. the universe. If I may give you an example from my sort of previous research field is neuroscience, because you can, neuroscience you can study at very, at different levels, right? And like pretty much any other subject. There is one level at one end where you can look at the molecular level and the genetics uh, and how that um, uh, produces expression of certain proteins within uh, neurons and affects their behavior. Uh, there is another level where you can see at the whole cell level what the neuron does um, when the inputs, electrical impulses arrive uh, at the neuron, how the, the neuron makes a decision. You can look at it at a network level, and at the other end would be uh, behavior. Mm. So that goes to psychology. So psychology can be thought of as a branch of neuroscience. And so th there is a vast chasm between the two. Mm. Um, but they are describing the same thing. And um, in a sense, science um, and spirituality are along that spectrum where um, both are observing truth, uh, but at very, very different levels. Um, and the verse which comes to my mind from the Holy Quran is um, where God direct, says directly to humanity that eyes cannot reach him, but he reaches the eyes, and he is the incomprehensible uh, and all aware. And the word which is used for incomprehensible is al-latif. And al-latif means something which is uh, refined to the superlative level. It's so refined that you, you, through physical instruments, what we call physical instruments, the crude physical instruments, you, you cannot 
um, you cannot uh, observe him directly and you have to see the effects uh, of that. So the spiritual world um, is observing the same truth, um, but it's um, it's in a sense behind a veil of scales mm. in that sense of resolution. Um, but that doesn't mean that God cannot reach your eyes. And that's the argument the religion makes, that God reaches out to your heart, to humanity through revelation and shows the way to understand that ultimate truth that God is the cause behind all the causes. So, I mean, that verse is, you know, leads us really into our next you know, area to, to discuss, really. When it says eyes cannot reach him, that's been, that is one of the arguments that, you know, philosophers, scientists have been using since the Enlightenment, that why believe in something that you cannot see? Why believe in something that you cannot, you know, get certainty of knowledge through the senses? Um, and let me put another verse to you. Um, this is in chapter 2, verse uh, 211. And this is addressing the disbelievers. And it says, Are they waiting for anything but that Allah should come to them in the coverings of the clouds with angels and the matter be decided? And what this verse is talking about, you know, is addressing the disbelievers to say, you know, they have this this feeling or this arrogance that God, you know, if God exists, then he will come to them in a physical form and manifest himself. And, and rhetorically, as, as, as is the language of the Holy Quran, you know, the, God is countering and saying, look, this is not your, the purpose of life is not, you know, that I come and, and manifest myself to you. Because if, if God manifests himself physically, then the matter that's talked about is belief or disbelief. Because then there's, there's you know, there's nothing left. If God manifest came in the clouds with the angels, then everyone would believe in God. You know, there's no, there's no merit then in the belief, and that's. And there's other verses of the Quran that we, you know, we all know that God has created death and life to try, try, try human beings, which view is best in deeds. So, again, if you talk about spiritual laws, this is one of the spiritual laws that God has decided. In his wisdom that he's not you know going to give a freebie in terms of his knowledge of him you have to earn it you have to go through a different process it's not going to be a physical manifestation and perhaps this is why i put to the panel in when you look at the verses that talk about science and when you you know think about studying science that same law will apply that you simply by studying science you will not necessarily find the manifestation of god and an example would be, you know, if God wanted to be discovered, you know, in the natural world, then, you know, there would be verses in the Holy Quran that would be incredibly, you know, detailed. You know, he, God could have put, you know, equations and he could have put, you know, the, you know, the law of relative relativity in there. He could have, you know, put something in DNA to make it very clear. But mm -hmm. it did, there seems to be a limit. There seems to be a limit. There's, you know, there's sort of a probability that there's a there's design, but it doesn't quite get to the level of manifestation of God. I, I, I think two aspects to that. Firstly, religion will always have this idea of belief in the unseen. I think that's quite central to what at least my understanding of Islam is to some extent. But to your second question about um, about putting uh, irrefutable 
arguments in the Holy Quran, I would argue that they are there for those who want to see. Mm. Like the Quran says itself, right at the beginning of the Holy Quran, it says that this is my book is a sign for the righteous. So I think this is the I the one the one thing you said there though is if there were equations in the Holy Quran highlighting exactly yes. the signs uh, behind you know various aspects that would have would that not be the equivalent that, of God manifesting Himself in the clouds and the matter being decided? to whom though to me personally maybe to the disbelievers no to me personally maybe. What you know, you study you study medicine. Mm. What would that say to you? Nothing, right? Not much. Well, I mean, anyone who would look at it would say, "Look, there is no this, doubt. You know, there's no wiggle room here." And you, and you say again, for the yeah. for, for the people who are yeah. looking for truth, you're right. Yeah. The verses are obvious, so, yeah. but there is that caveat yeah. that you're looking so, for truth. So I th- I think that's a really interesting topic. Um. I, if I may put a pin on something which Anna said, because I was just about to interject. With Anna, <laughs> yeah, so I said, no, 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 I'm not going to disrupt <laughs> his his flow. Yeah. Uh, but uh, what what do we mean by the unseen? I, that's very, very yeah. important. And that's uh, an, another podcast in our upcoming series uh, <laughs> yeah. um, there. Um, and I think that's important. Um, I think it's almost um, um, uh, th- there are two ways of approaching this. Um, and w- one of the ways uh, at the first approximation, so you can, we can think of it as a crude approximation, is this idea of uh, an e- exam, right? So the life is a kind of like a test and we go through and we learn things about God through life as well as science. But uh, imagine if, and, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a teacher. So, um, you know, if, if let's say the 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 kid, uh, my students didn't really have to learn mm. every, and they didn't have to struggle, and they were just told, actually, this is the answer. These are the answers on your paper. Just write them down on that piece of paper. How, 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 how would that help the students? Yeah. How would that what help would the their learning? What star mean for in that scenario? What, what is, would, they, everyone, they would not learn yeah. or understand anything. And everyone would have anything. the same grade. Everyone will possibly have yeah the same grade absolutely. I mean, there will be some students who might forget, but you know, <laughs> I mean, you know, uh, or um, um, some might protest and write the wrong you know answer. It uh, happens, but um, but uh, so so there there is no sense of struggle. There's no sense of merit. There's no actually sense of learning, and I think that leads to the ultimate uh, sort of the next level argument. Actually. As we talk about God is, um, and the Holy Quran describes it beautifully, and Latif is something refined. Um, to truly understand God within the human limits, to 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 see God and perceive somehow, let's say somehow we could see God in some kind of physical manifestation, and yeah. God is not physical. So, but let's put that aside. That would not mean that humanity actually becomes aware of God. Hmm. That's not how humanity is supposed to understand God. That's a very, very crude, unhelpful way. Uh, humanity would not progress um, in that way. And Again, God it'll is be the same exam si- situation. There'll be no discrimination. There'll be, you know, as well, yeah. everyone yeah. would, 
you know, no one could then deny God. Yeah. And and immediately, so that immediately the faculty of what the Holy Quran puts it as is uh, the faculty of the heart and the faculty of spirituality mm. that would end the the journey which needs to take place to appreciate the attributes uh, of God through our personal journeys and through how um, our prayers are answered and how struggle is made and when we're put at risk and when we put ourselves at risk uh, um, um, and with, with our belief in the unseen we make sacrifices n knowing that God is not in, a, in some physical manifestation standing there in front of me uh, reassuring there and then that this is what's going to happen but the communication happens through different ways uh, it's a moral journey and that would end it's it's like asking yeah. us to uh, I mean for example there's a, a main, I think there's a really really direct analogy with scientific research just like the exam analogy imagine let's say at the beginning of uh, humanity when uh, we were um, so we started living in groups and doing agriculture together right at the beginning, you know, maybe developing some bits of mathematics to count uh, how much food we had and, you know, uh, and then suddenly uh, there was this flash and there was a book and it said, okay, there we go. We've got equals MC squared minus this, 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 you know, the whole equation and there we go. And this is DNA and the spiral. There you go. You know, and so humanity would have stunted there and then they wouldn't have understood it. There's no way they could have appreciated it. Um, yeah, I, I think I think that's an important key concept there, because science develops. You know, our understanding of science even even fifty, sixty years ago was completely different from what it is now, and hundred years ago, two hundred years ago, completely different. So this, you made an important point there at the end of it. I think that to answer this initial question, why are there no equations mm -hmm. in the Holy Quran? Equations are temporary. They are our current understanding yeah. of the universe. Mm -hmm. So who says that our current understanding is actually the complete one? In fact, we know many of the gaps that exist in our current understanding of the, you know, fundamental theory of everything that, you know, we keep adding to our knowledge base. And I think that's part of the human condition mm -hmm. that we keep adding to our knowledge base. We keep progressing. If we had the final answer, there would be no reason to progress. Almost. Yep. I mean, and if you if you then you know compare it to natural phenomenon, there's darkness yeah. and there's light. Yeah. You know, if there was just light, then there'd be no darkness, and would you even say there's light? So, yeah. the sort of e or even 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 at a more fundamental level, yeah. if we had the whatever the final answer is, yeah. who would say we would even understand it as the truth? Like maybe we, we haven't even observed everything. Like, you know, just take the simple example that you mentioned. Mm -hmm. If the Holy Quran had spoken about quantum mechanics or yes. quantum physics to uh, to the followers of the Holy Prophet, they did not even have a way of observing those phenomena. So it wouldn't have made any sense to them anyway. So I think there, there are several aspects to it, but I, 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 I feel... The Holy Quran is a book of, you know, the remainder of the human existence as we understand it. So it can't be tied to scientific, yeah. current scientific truths at any given time. Yeah. Things that we understand now. Yeah, yeah and I, I think it's also important to remember that the job of the Holy Quran, as 
it describes itself is not to teach us science yeah. and probably yeah. because of the reasons we are talking about right now yeah. right science is something which is learned and developed and uh, our um, intellectual development takes time and without that gradual development there is no development you can't just like make some kind of a massive jump towards some kind of profound equation or truth about science not having taken the steps before that because that would mean nothing but the job of the holy quran is uh, to um get humanity show humanity the way and the job of religion actually when we say the holy quran that is what we mean um in our community of course is the job of true religion is to connect humanity with god and sometimes that might be through physical um inspiration or inspiration through physical phenomena um where it points towards certain symmetries or certain truths in nature which hint towards the existence of god and and sometimes it might be to what we might call moral or social phenomena um where there's some evident truths it points to us that if you behave in such such a manner this will cause war if you prioritize this this will avoid do this don't drink alcohol for instance for, for instance or don't um steal from other nations or you know treat all um all um uh, races and nations with equal respect yeah, don't uh, charge interest yeah, that we're all suffering in this country <laughs> with at the moment uh well yeah well that that's another podcast so, I mean, yes. <laughs> so i mean we we are already discussing the second question really aren't we how does the study of science and natural phenomena get you closer to god but okay let's move on to you know the sub question from that what are the limits to understanding god through science i mean are there limits or can you you know just through the um, study of science can you find god sure answer is no yeah. not purely through the study of science and you you partially addressed that already that science is a um study of the observ- uh, observable universe however you define observable right at the end of the, through through some um you know uh, finely tuned uh, machine through just looking at it through looking at the human you know now talking about humanities looking at what we humans produce our psychiatry psychology etc whatever but science is the study of the observable universe and by definition according to all our understanding of god god is anything but observable so there will always be a limit you will you you know partially what we said in the previous question that through works of god mm. can we see the existence of god but that will always hint only will not give you definitive proof that there is some person who did this or not even person but again you know we we are already almost hitting the the sort of barriers of at least my language somewhat because when we describe god we are always trying to look for language from our experience <laughs> but that is also quite limiting because god is not in our experience I mean let's go back to the original the verse we started with and among among his signs is the creation of the heavens and the earth and whatever living creatures he had spread forth in both so what I mean what are the signs then well, I mean we already said that the the, the sign won't I mean it's, it does say sign it doesn't say you know manifestation of god so yeah. you know what what 
what does it mean by signs? Could mean different things. So mm. I mean, again, if I may just uh, just take a quick trip back mm. to how can um, signs get as close to God? And one thing which we talked about earlier was with regards to retrospective um, recognition um, of Quranic verses in light of recent um, scientific discoveries, right. Uh, right? So that that would be one thing. So for example, um, um, as we've highlighted um, um, within, within our community, um, the fourth caliph of um, the Ahmadi Muslim community very clearly uh, explained um, the idea that the Big Bang has been talked about within sure. the Holy Quran in detail. And I think that's something else which we need to discuss uh, as well because and, and to discuss the counter arguments against that and so on as well. Uh, but um, just just now, now stepping again forward, um, it's uh, in those verses where you're where you're saying and that God is describing the universe and how it's work, how it works as signs well, are, are things like purpose. So there, there appears to be the, uh, a kind of grand scheme of things. Uh, that's one level of argument. There is no such thing, perhaps, as epiphenomena. So by epiphenomena, we mean uh, um, things like, so th there are certain phenomena which occur, but they are kind of separate to an overall mechanism of a cell or uh, the biology of an organism, it just so happens it occurs. I will give you an example from my own research um, in, in, in my thesis, which I looked at, and that's, called, that's to do with aphaptic coupling. So for quite some time, um, this, uh, uh, um, and ev even now, um, we think of um, the communication taking place within the nervous system, so in between neurons, um, as a through synapses, which is an electrical chemical process which which takes place. So um, one neuron will communicate with another neuron through neurotransmitters which are released um, within the synapse. And there's no direct kind of like current passing through the two neurons. However, there is current passing in and out of the body of the cell um, and that projects uh, an electric field. Um, and for quite some time, um, we have thought that that is um, an epiphenomena, that there might be some kind of coupling happening, and that's called aphaptic coupling, basically. The neurons are talking to each other through electric field, external electric field. Um, but more and more we, and from more and more we studied this, we find that it serves a purpose. Um, it serves a, to synchronize the rhythms within the neurons that there is a purpose to this. And I found that, uh, and that is my answer to you, mm. um, Adil, mm. that I, I was, because the, the, what we have learned and what I have learned from the Holy Quran and what the promised Messiah has taught us, what Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, has taught, taught us, that uh, th things have a purpose. Things which have been created have a purpose. They fit into a scheme. They don't have to. They don't really have to. So this aphaptic coupling can just be a side phenomenon which doesn't serve a purpose, but it so happens it does. Mm. Now, yes, there might be other arguments to say things somehow fit together and they converge on purposes and so on. But I think that's one level of the argument. Yeah. Um, another argument um, could be to do uh, with 
things like, you know, when we look at certain plants which are toxic, but they actually happen to have tremendous benefit in uh, to, uh, to, to fight other diseases, such as snake venom yeah. and, and so on. That this is the argument which the Prince Messiah very clearly made, that this is one of the signs of God. And when you study nature, you will find it. Yeah. Well, and if I may finish, and I'm going on a long one here, because this is like <laughs> my life story here, right? Yeah. Um, because I find that extremely exhilarating as a former researcher, and I would still call myself as a, I'm a science teacher, but I call myself a scientist, um, that there is, it tells me two things. One, that there is beauty, elegance, remarkable discoveries to be made. We will not find a lack of purpose in the universe. We will not find some kind of hodgepodge of different phenomena mm -hmm. which don't make sense. There is a beauty and symmetry and elegance mm -hmm. uh, to the universe. And Dirac would be one of the examples from theoretical physics who, who believe that there should be beauty mm -hmm. in, in physics and the equation should be beautiful and he, you know, people would disagree with him. But, but the other thing is that it would never end. Yeah. We would peel one layer of the onion, we'll find another. And we will keep on going from yeah. New Newton's gravity to Einstein's space-time curvature, yeah. explaining the orbits of the planets. But they, they will, it will never and, end. And that aspect of science is reproduced in every field of science that, mm. that you come across. I mean, looking at where I work, I mean, we both started our journey at a mm. similar place, mm. but mm. diverged quite significantly. But where I work in genetics is the same idea that if you, and this actually goes some of the way to answering your question as well, mm. that the reason why science will only give you an idea that there is something that you need to go look for is because science, from what you said as well, like you keep peeling that layer of the onion, you keep getting further and further to the truth, but we still haven't found the end truth. There's so much further to go. And even then, will we ever reach that you know, final stage. So that's why science will only give you an idea. In genetics, it's the same thing, like what you mentioned. If you spoke to a geneticist about 10 years ago, 15 years ago, they would have said that the majority of the, there was a common phrase that the majority of the DNA is junk, yeah. junk DNA. Mm -hmm. And there was a study, very big study called ENCODE done, where they actually found that actually the, it isn't the case that the majority of the DNA that was you know, dismissed as junk DNA is actually serving a useful purpose within the cell. Various aspects of it relate to how you read off the rest of the DNA, how um, how it is processed, all, all the rest of it. And working in genetics, I can tell you, we are not even close to understanding what that purpose actually is fully. But we know it does serve a purpose. If you remove that part, cells don't divide anymore. Mm -hmm. Cells don't, you know, cells start dying off. So that is the case with all areas of science. So that's, you know. And I mean, I would, I would cite an example from yeah. medicine. Yeah. Like the, yeah. You know, mm -hmm. the appendix. Yeah, For a right. long time, it was thought the appendix was just, you know, a useless little finger of yeah. bowel that's just there it's to get vestigial. inflamed. Vestigial. Yes, vestigial yeah. organ. Yeah that just to cause inflammation and problems. But now there's more evidence that it has some sort of role in bacterial, you know, bacterial control. And, you know, it's not 
completely proven, but you know, you've moved from a position where an organ was thought to be useless, you know, Absolutely. serving no purpose, and now yeah. we're moving yeah. away. And this is all fitting in with this concept um, that there is design, that there's purpose, that mm-hmm. there's order. And you see that order in all our fields. We've discussed, you know, all our f- different fields that we come from. Mm, yeah. And that same order is found in the, you know, in cosmology and the laws of physics. Um, I think, you know, we, I want to just dig in slightly deeper. You were talking about the, you know, the Big Bang. I mean, if we just look at this as an example, just so we can get some idea of what are the limits of, you know, of what you will learn about God from verses of the Holy Quran. So... The verse, you know, that de- that describes the Big Bang, this is in chapter 21, verse 31. And it says, Do not the unbelievers see that the heavens and the earth were a closed up mass, and we clothed, clothed them asunder, and we made from e- water every living being? Will they not then believe? And I think it's just important for the, for the listeners, we've mentioned the fourth caliph a couple of times. So just so, you know, everyone understands what we mean by that. The fourth caliph is, what we mean by that is the fourth successor uh, from the founder of the Amdiya Muslim community. So the founder of the Amdiya Muslim community, we've mentioned Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmed, who claimed to be the promised Messiah and reformer. So a, a caliph is a spiritual head and, you know, is considered the head of the community. So... The fourth caliph was Hazrat Mirza Tahir Ahmed, and he wrote a book that you know all three of us have read, and many of the readers may have read, called Revelation, Rationality, Knowledge, and Truth. And this covers—it's a vast thesis, really, that covers yeah. many topics. But it discusses exactly what we're discussing in this in this program today: science and religion, and how they fit hand in hand. How that they are—you know—they're branches of the same tree, and. The significance of this is that we have a religious leader talking about science and the harmony that science has with religion. And this is a unique, I think this is a unique position in sort of modern religion, you know, today or perhaps in history, that you've got, you've got this harmony that you need. And I think perhaps that's what was missing in the Enlightenment, because in the Enlightenment was, you know, the, the predominant theistic um you know th- theories were judeo-christian so you know people you know the enlightenment philosophers they were dealing with miracles they were de- dealing with you know the miracles of jesus and you can see how that would be in great conflict you know at one hand you've got you know all these laws being discovered you've got explanations about the creation of the universe explanations about the creation of you know of biology and on the other hand you've got uh, a doctrine that's talking about you know walking on water and you know other other miracles so that disconnect perhaps has fueled this um but let, let's just come back to this verse then so it's you know what level of scientific insight is the is the verse of this holy quran giving i mean is it very ex- is it explicit or is it an indication i mean what what do you think i mean we're obviously slightly biased from being within the community. Yeah. What do you think, you know, someone from the outside our community would make of this verse as a, you know, as a description of the Big Bang? I mean, it, it, it comes back to what we discussed. It depends how you approach it. Right? If you approach it as 
a you know a, a religious book talking about a scientific phenomena uh, that is described in some it's uh, using a somewhat of a visual metaphor then i think it comes relatively close to describing what our current understanding of science tells us about how the universe was created even the how important water was in the creation of life is mentioned here at the end of the day i think if this was the only verse talking about science in the holy quran i tend to be quite cynical and skeptical of things i would have dismissed it yeah because it's just one verse and it it, it isn't you know like you said earlier it isn't giving an equation or like um, describing the scientific phenomenon in any uh, massive detail it's about seeing how many scientific phenomena are covered in the holy quran how often and i have yet to come across one that is wrong in fact navid i don't know if you remember there was one verse a few years ago that we had we had been discussing for a long time ever since we were phd mm. students together mm. that what does this verse mean mm. uh why is it mentioned in this way was it the one about the earthquakes yes yeah do you remember yeah. that yeah yeah of course and yeah, yeah. it was I a think, recent very recent scientific yeah. study well, that actually proved that verse of the holy quran Uh, to be correct until that recent study literally um, i think just before covid it came out what, 20 can you be more specific what was so it? there's a verse of the holy quran yeah. um, do you remember the exact verse i wouldn't remember the exact verse uh, i can give uh, the the context yeah. uh, so there are certain verses in the holy quran which refer to the creation of mountains yeah. and yep. the purpose of that being to stop the earth shaking yes um and um um and um i, I think um i don't know if you know i think umar umar nasser um has has done really good work on yeah. it uh, as well but the argument um which was presented was that as far as geologists understand that the earth, the mountains themselves do not stop um, earthquakes yeah. so what is that in fact is the opposite um often Uh, uh, earthquakes can cause mountains yeah, to fall. Yeah. Uh, uh yeah. Yes, yes, to the plates moving yeah. upon each other and and so on. Um and um I I think again this is something which we will explore perhaps later. Yeah. There's so many things, but um uh, the, uh, there was recent work done on um uh, underwater uh, volcanoes and how they are important. um for stabilizing plate tectonics as i remember and mm. so on but um yeah i think i think if if uh, i i think anas uh, um being perhaps a uh well he he he's obviously a brilliant scientist and a current scientist well, and sure. myself being um, um a, a science teacher as as i define myself as he he and anas being from the background of bioinformatics <laughs> he he uh he's going to a sort of the statistical aspect yeah. that and and which is absolutely 100% valid and true um uh, from from my point of view um so lowly science teacher point of view as we might put it i think this worse which you have referred to um should make 
um, anyone who's reading it with some l- current level of understanding of modern uh, astrophysics, it should make them stop and look again. Mm. Um, that's what happened to me. Because yep. there's several things about this verse. Mm. And the thing about the Holy Quran is, um, and this is another sign for those who will reflect, is it's a remarkably precise book. It's a remarkably interconnected book. Um, first of all, when it talks about do not the unbelievers see and the unbelievers being from the community, which would be not Muslims. Um, and so initially that strikes that actually it will not, this this phenomena would be discovered um, by uh, what you might call unbelievers. And that's um, someone who, who's not, who do, who do not believe in God. So thank you for joining us and uh, join us again because I don't think we've quite finished this, the discussion, but we'll, we'll pick it up in our, in our next episode. Okay. Thank you. Peace okay. be upon you.